So I recall having months and months of the unbelievable agony of playing 50 or 60 or 70% of a day in Harvest Moon 64. And then my mom's 20 minute timer would go off and since she hated video games, she would rush into the family room and punch the reset button on the N64. Some episodes may contain adult themes or explicit language. Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your host, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we are joined by StarCraft II caster and streamer Creighton Olson, who brings a background in performing arts to his casting. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. As always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Brett Lindley. Brett, how are you doing tonight? Back to esteemed. Happy about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Uh, and we are joined, of course, as I said in the intro, by Creighton Olson. Creighton, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing so well, Walker. Got a, like a five o'clock beer that you guys have heard about twice now. And I'm so jazzed about this recording. We're going to see if we can actually record this first 10 seconds of the conversation 20 or 30 times because we really want to hone in on it. You know, yeah, we I mean? got to get our script down. It's, well, it's like a StarCraft build. You know what I mean? You got to start yeah. right. The first three um, minutes are so important. <laughs> I'm reminded I read a story a while ago about the, the Japanese astronaut program. And I guess one of the things they have you do if you want to be a Japanese astronaut is they put you in a room with a thousand pieces of origami paper and say, make a thousand cranes. Like you can leave once you've made a thousand cranes and then they check and see, okay, is your first crane different than your 45th crane, than your 500th <laughs> crane? Do you have like the discipline to stay the same for doing the same repetitive task over and over again? And that, if that doesn't sound like podcasting to me, I feel like that's about <laughs> well, as, then this about is as right close up as it's going to get. I, I did so... I don't know how much this translates, but our school, God, it was like fifth grade, had the like fun money, like teach kids how to use money thing that happens for like a semester. You earn money for different things and then you have like auctions and whatnot at the end of the year and kids bring in candy or whatever. I was like, I had gotten into origami, was like, I'm going to do origami, but I need 200 paper cranes. And I legit took like an entire weekend and folded like 200 paper cranes up. I don't think my first one was as good as actually, I think they probably got better. <laughs> you guys can probably see the people watching this. This is not good podcast content. You guys can see I got a whole stack of them on top of the <laughs> mm-hmm. games yep, there. there we go. I'm way, nice. I'm way into it. Anyway, we're, now that we're way off topic, what did you guys want to talk no, we're about? We're beautiful. Yeah. This is where we should start. <laughs> well, I'd actually like to continue down this road for a moment. I feel like your crane should get better over a thousand. And if they don't, mm. I don't know if that speaks to discipline or something like developmentally wrong because how are you not getting better at this over a thousand iterations if you That's put ten thousand if you have ten thousand <laughs> cranes done and you don't I, have better cranes then now, you're not i maybe I, I don't know if i've played a thousand starcraft games but i'm definitely just as bad at starcraft as i was yeah. when i started so mm-hmm. i i wouldn't be an astronaut either um i can yeah, check that one off the list going up super <laughs> high, so. and i'm scared of heights so i'm out for sure that we're right. not gonna make it to the moon but the, between the three of us we're <laughs> fucked we'll stick to podcasting <laughs> um well fair enough well yeah so creighton you've been around starcraft for a long time you are um a, a caster and a streamer currently and i understand you're affiliated with team gp which is a pro starcraft 2 team can you talk about kind of how you got affiliated with them and, and what's it like being a part of, of team gp yeah, it, it's really cool, actually. So I was on Alpha X when I first started, and that was when I was just getting just getting into doing this a little bit more frequently. And uh, the basically Alpha X reached out to me and was like, oh, are you interested in joining our team? We can't offer you much, but you know, you can be under our banner and we'll try and get you some gigs and stuff. And it was great. 
and then as I've become like full time for the last year and a half or so, uh, a representative from Team GP reached out to me because I've worked with them in the past on a few tournaments that I organize. Because I think what most people don't know is that I, I spend the majority of my time organizing tournaments. Like, yes, I'm live a lot, but most of the time that I'm not live, I'm setting up tournaments or organizing something. So I've done some some events for them before. And the uh, the owner reached out to me, their team manager reached out to me and was like, are you interested in joining Team GP? We can pay you a tiny little salary and hook you up with some of our players. And basically, it's more of a, a marriage of convenience than anything else, where it's just like, I, I want to put on good StarCraft content and they want to showcase their players. So it totally makes sense that we work together. It's great. Yeah. And go ahead. No, I was just going to ask where Team GP is based out of. They're, so they're Korean. Okay, that's um, what I thought. They're based out of Seoul. Yeah, that's why they pick up mostly old Korean old Korean players for the most part. Uh, it's it's great. I can always tell when somebody messaged me because I have, I have like weird connections in Korea still from the time I was there. And I, I can always tell when somebody messaged me and thinks uh, that doesn't know me. And I can always tell when they're Korean because they ask, they say, hello, Olsen. Because they think Olsen is my first name, because right. all the Korean names are backwards, ah, right? Yeah, Koreans yeah. say their their family name first. Right. So anytime someone messages me out of the blue and is like, "Hello, Olsen, I have a question for you," I'm like, "You gotta be Korean." <laughs> <laughs> I actually get that all the time in the states, um, just because I have two last names, so oh. people just have no idea which one to go with. So they're like, "Uh, near." And I'm like, "No." <laughs> I mean, Walker's a weird first name, but Near would be a far weirder first name. So. Right. That's the um, thing. And I'm, I'm always, and then I have to remind <laughs> myself like every Korean name sounds a little weird to me. So I'm sure my name sure. sounds just as bad. <laughs> I can't judge him. I can't judge him. So, yeah. So you, um, you, you obviously just mentioned your time in Korea. Um, my understanding is you'd moved over there in, in 2017. What prompted that move and, and what was that like? And is that time frame wrong? <laughs> I think you know my life better than I do at this point. Uh -oh. <laughs> I'm just going to be fully transparent here so people understand. This is all from Liquipedia. So I'm, okay. I'm not like an investigative journalist or anything. Like, this is just... <laughs> We're digging deep. We're going yeah. into news articles. <laughs> it's th I know three paragraphs about your life, and I don't know we, if it's real. It's like a Wikipedia interviewed article. your teachers. Or... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you guys are going to be in for a real, real fun time then. No, I, I trust liquipedia more than i trust my own memory because sure. I, I know the liquipedia editors and i know those guys do not fuck yeah, around right like, they're they're serious about this shit um anytime somebody posts a new picture on liquipedia the discord lights up with like do you have the rights for this picture send us a screenshot of whoever owns this picture you know like it's they're intense so if they said 2017 i believe them uh yeah i think that's right. actually i'm pretty sure i wrote all that myself so it's, nice. it's good press if you can make it seem like somebody else did it <laughs> um, yeah, so I lived in uh, the UK for a while before that. I had married a British girl while I was there, and then we were no longer married. And the government in the UK was like, hey, wait a minute, you're here on a marriage visa, and you're not married anymore. Something's not right here. Uh, <laughs> so they sent, me a, they sent me a letter on October 25th of that year and said, uh, we found out you're not married anymore. Get the hell out of our country. You got two months to leave. Hmm. So if you do the math from October 25th, two months later, uh, basically it was Merry Christmas, ho, ho, haul your ass out of here. And uh, so I had about two months, I had to like, I was doing uh, marketing contracting work at the time. And I had to like drop all my contracts completely and like figure out legally how to get all, get out of all of that work. Uh, and then I was drinking with a buddy one night and I had about probably six weeks left. And I was like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know what I'm, how I'm going to keep my career going. And he said, Creighton, you've been burnt out for like as long as I've known you. And based on what you've told me, you've been working like 60 hour weeks since you were 18 years old why don't you just like go chill for a while? And he was very polite about it, but it was also like, bro, 
un- right. unwind a little bit or you're going to die of a heart attack at age 32, um, which might still happen. I got, I got about five <laughs> months left. Um, so yeah, he, I did my, when I, when I did my master's degree, I wrote my thesis actually on North Korea and I visited North Korea in 2013 oh, wow. and he knew that about me. So he was like, you know, a lot about Korea. They always need English teachers there. That's like a super chill, low key. Just go do that. Like go enjoy another country for a while and hang out. So I went to Korea in, yeah, I think it was December, 2017, just like, so Christmas day, 2017, I flew to Korea and I taught for a year and then I did, um, English language textbook editing for a year as well. So just to keep myself busy, but that's really how I got invested into the Starcraft scene was just living in Seoul. So you didn't go to Korea to participate in the Starcraft scene in any capacity. No, I wish I did. I wish I was cool like that, but no, I just went <laughs> for work. And then when I first showed up there, I, I remembered cause I, I, I'd followed Starcraft obviously since the beginning, sort of on and off. Um, and, uh, I, I remember when I went there, I was like, oh, right. Starcraft is a big deal. I should go check out a live esports event. That sounds like fun. And then of course my first trip to the GSL, I just got hooked, man. It was so good to be a part of the live experience. And uh, I got back into it just. I just felt I basically I tripped and like fell down into a gold mine of just <laughs> stuff that I loved. It was it was awesome. I I couldn't imagine that being like the first that'd be like your first concert being like a megalithic band, like a like a Tool or a Britney Spears or something like no local shows, no blue rooms. <laughs> I've just... never heard never heard Tool and Britney Spears in the same sentence before, but okay, I'll give it to you. Sure. I have I le- really varied music tastes. So. I legit the first concert I went to was Tool, so I can <laughs> really <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. My first concert I ever went to was uh, an a cappella group from Sweden called The Real Group that I absolutely loved. And that, that was like my, I was like, that's my premiere concert. That's like the best concert I've ever been to. Does it, does live it acapella. It was amazing. If you were in the group that, <laughs> that did the concert, cause those, those all of my, like my first official quote unquote, like band concert was like a couple of years ago. I saw Eve six at a fairgrounds and yeah, I was a big fan cool. of them as like a high school kid, but I had like done, I was in different sorts of choirs and acapella yeah. groups. And then I was big into like DJs and stuff. I, I don't consider DJing like warehouse club party. It's not really a concert. <laughs> sure. It is. And it is. They're, they're a little different though. <laughs> no, I'm not counting any of that. Cause I was my freshman year of college. I actually studied opera performance for undergrad and okay. I'm like a huge classical music jazz nut. I played trumpet all through college and after and sang professional semi-professionally through college and after as well. So I'm not, I'm not counting anything I've been oh, okay, in. No, okay. that'd be that'd be much more sad if I was like, actually, my first concert was a third grade recital. <laughs> yeah. And I had a four-bar solo. Yeah. And do you hear what I hear? And it was amazing. Yeah, I, I played handbells in uh, in the Lutheran middle school that I went to. So Dude, I guess we count no that, that it wasn't Tool. It was the handbell show. You know that handbells are like a serious, th- like people, some people take handbells super seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that probably a lot of the people that I was playing with did i did not because it was just a requirement for being a seventh grader at the lutheran school right exactly (laughs) right yeah um yeah definitely an interesting instrument though um well so i'm just you know i'm curious for for someone who's from the midwestern area like we are um and this is just kind of a dumb question but i mean what is it like in, in Seoul? Is it just completely like a different world from here? Or is it actually more similar than someone like me might think who's never been there? Oh, man. So where are you from, Walker? I'm from Springfield, Missouri. Oh, okay. You're, you're like right down the road then. I'm yeah, in yeah. the city now. Dope. Yeah. And Brett, where are you from? Same. 
Yeah, we're, oh. we're about 30 minutes away from each other. Amazing. So. <laughs> okay, so this is all... I, I'm officially a Missourian now. Like, I have a Missouri driver's yeah. license and shit, so nice. we're, we're all brothers yeah. in arms. Uh, it's a big it's upgrade a local being show. a Kansan, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm actually really fortunate. I Basically, I realized... Because I grew up in central Kansas in a town of like 3,000 people, give or take. Uh, its claim to fame was that not only did we have feed yard, like cattle feed yards on three sides of the town, so no matter which way the wind blew, the town smelled like cow shit. Hmm. But also hmm. the biggest industry in my town was just north of town. There was a combination uh, sexual offenders prison, a high risk, uh, like high security prison and juvenile detention facility. And that was like the big, like everybody in town worked for them. So I realized at a young age, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I got to leave. <laughs> right now wow <laughs> um so i'm very fortunate even though i started in like small town midwest i knew i th i think from as 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 early as i could form thoughts i was like i gotta get out of here man like, this is not <laughs> this is not me at all no human should be here exactly like automate i said i think once we have the technology just automate everything between like the mississippi and the rockies and like leave denver <laughs> maybe everything else can just be like farming robots Nobody needs to live. It's terrible. So after high school, I actually lived in Nashville, Tennessee for my undergrad, which was nice because it was like still sort of Midwestern, but like there were people there. It's kind of like Kansas City, uh, sort of similar size or feel of a town at least. And then from there, I got progressively bigger. So I lived in Boston, then New York, and then San Jose. And like, so I bounced around. So I kind of graduated up to moving to Seoul. But you're right. There's something about living in a, in a freaking Asian mega city with 33 million people in it that is unlike anything else um it's it's wildly different and i there i mean just i feel like just like anywhere there's stuff that i miss about it there's stuff that i certainly don't miss about it mm. um it's 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 a really interesting experience the toughest part is living there as an expat because generally speaking korean people are not as friendly and open as i'm used to which i mean if i if if like anybody in my family goes to a bar we're gonna leave with a new friend by the end of the night that's just sort of because i'm you know i'm a jolly midwestern dude yep. and it's very weird to be in a city where like not only do people are not people not like openly friendly to you, they're actively not like, at least in New York, you know, people are assholes, but in Seoul, they ignore your existence completely. And yeah. aside from staring at you a little bit on the subway, like it was, it was a little alien. So like I said, some amazing stuff, some, some stuff that's terrible, but I feel like it's not, you know, you live there for a couple of months and you sort of get into the swing of things. Right. So, so how do you break through some of those like cultural barriers? I mean, obviously you had a great time there, but were yeah. there certain go-to phrases or just topics of conversation that you could kind of get people out of their, their negative comfort zone? Maybe? No, absolutely no. not. I didn't make any Korean friends while I was there. Oh. And that's a story you're going to hear from a lot of, like, I, I remember I, I dated um, a couple while I lived there and the couple had been there for like 10, 12 years or something. And at one point we were talking, we were, we, you know, we, they, we'd had a couple of drinks and we were talking late at night and they said something like, we've lived here for 10, like a decade now. And I still don't feel like I really know anyone, like any Korean person. Uh, like I, I talk to them all the time and, and they tell me about, you know, whatever, but I, I still just don't feel like I know them the way I would know somebody that, that like foreigners. So it's a, it, I think the one thing that a lot of expats say about Seoul is that it can feel very lonely like the expat community is generally pretty good, but there's a there's a strong dividing line between the locals and the expats for sure, uh, and mm. one that I haven't experienced anywhere else I've lived. <laughs> so the gaming culture there is is it just mm. that gaming is way more popular, or is there is there something beyond that to it, or is, or is it just simply oh, that man. it's a lot more 
normalized. I mean, it's not that it's abnormal here, but mm-hmm. we don't have airplanes with StarCraft two logos on them. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's, I don't know how, how much time you want me to spend because I could definitely spend like half an hour talking about it. Whatever but you want. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff surrounding like why gaming took off in South Korea. Um, so first and foremost, the co- the country itself, like the infrastructure of the country was sort of developed in the nineties. It, it really was. I mean, and it's weird to think about this, but until the early nineties, late eighties, Korea was like a third world country worried about food and stuff just historically. Cause obviously war had just torn them apart. They had a bunch of problems with government and stuff, but once their infrastructure sort of got on track was right when the infrastructure, like the internet was happening to everybody and their government very wisely said, this is, this is the way, man, we got to get this in. So um, like, for example, I don't, don't tell me what you pay for internet, but I want to see your faces when I say that I paid $40 a month for gigabit up and down in South Korea. Uh, and th- when you go in for internet, like you go to the, the uh, uh, whatever their internet store was, I've already forgotten. You have two choices, 500 mm. or one gig. Like those are your only options for internet. It's insane. Yeah. So there was this huge investiture into internet. So uh, that's one big thing. And then the second big thing that made gaming sort of a cultural phenomenon is the idea of um, cafes, which is a big deal in Korea and China and Japan. And Brett, you're nodding your head like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But if, if the people at home don't, um, basically like, so, so Brett Walker, if we're going to hang out, I'll be like, guys, come over to my place. We'll play board games or whatever. Um, not really a thing in Asian culture, not a huge thing anyway in Asian culture. I have a lot of friends who like, I met some Korean people who were like, oh, I've never had a friend over to my house. That's super weird. Generally, if you hang out with somebody, you go out to do something outside of your homes together. And so cafes are a big deal. And uh, not just like coffee, but there are, if you're into raccoons, there's a raccoon cafe where you buy a cup of coffee and hang out with some raccoons. Or if you love Lego, you can go to the Lego cafe where you get a cup of coffee and rent a Lego set. Or if you're into records, you can go to a record cafe and get an expensive pair of headphones and listen to a record on a record player. Like, any hobby you can imagine, there's a cafe for. Cafe is like a general term, meaning place you go for a cup of coffee and to do something. And so the most famous, one of the most famous cafe types are called PC bongs, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, which are the computer, basically computer cafes, where if you want to go hang out with your friends, you just go into a cafe that has 30 cubicles, 50 cubicles set up with computers, and you all play League of Legends together or whatever. So yeah, the gaming culture was really normalized by these PC bongs that became a place to meet and hang out. And most importantly, were hyper cheap. If you're a 12-year-old kid, you get on the subway for free, you get off the stop at your cafe, you walk 10 yards to your PC cafe or whatever, and it's like a dollar an hour. So you can hang out with your buddies for all night for a tenner and drink cheap energy drinks or whatever and snack. And so it's, it's, this, it's this whole collusion of factors that really made it an important part of their culture hmm. and that's sort of it go ahead oh i was just gonna say i don't think i could have gotten an hour of gaming done in the 90s mm. on a dollar in the biggest arcade in town yeah what do you what do you like that do? would that'd be like like eight minutes maybe <laughs> there's a there's a really cool bar here in kansas city that, that does arcade games and i remember i bought like five tokens and i was like i'll be good for like half nope gone yeah. immediately that's also because <laughs> i'm garbage at tetris but i was like <laughs> 
It was I awful. always wish I was good at Galaga because it's one of my favorite uh, games, but I'm not. I, I'm just, I think I am. In my brain, I'm like, I've got this, I've got this, and then it's <laughs> gone. You, you sound very much like me, where I think a lot of people are surprised when I tell them, like, I'm terrible at video game, just in general. Like, not like I'm bad at StarCraft, but everybody's kind of bad at StarCraft. Right. I'm bad at just, like, any game that's not Stardew Valley. Like, I'm terrible <laughs> at it. So I always, it's very weird that I have a career in you gaming and I'm actually the worst. In Stardew Valley. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, we actually had a, a PC cafe like that here in Springfield when I was growing up, but mm -hmm. it was, I think, 10 or $15 an hour. And so it's yep. just not realistic for a kid. I mean, as an adult, even, I'm probably not going to go pay 10 or $15 an hour for very many hours, you know what I mean, no. to do something, so... No, and that's I, I know a lot of a lot of places are trying to a lot of companies right now are trying to open PC cafes. I know of like three or four competing companies that are all trying to do it because um, I've interviewed for jobs with a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm concerned like one just opened up in Kansas City here and I, I love it and I wish it would succeed. But you've got to have like so many weird cultural things in place for it to work. Yeah. And you've got to have cheap real estate, which we don't have. You've got to have public transit so 12-year-olds can get there, and we don't have that. You've got to have cheap internet. You can't have that. Like, there's so many things that have to go right for this really unique gaming culture to sort of spring up. So uh, Parents would have to trust 12-year-olds being alone for exactly. more than five minutes. It would have to be normalized to be yeah. like, oh, you're going to go chill with your friends? Yeah, whatever. Get out of, like, you know, get out of your hair. I guess if your parents are cool parents, they're going to yeah. do that. But, yeah. <laughs> So like I said, I wish him luck. I wish it would work really well, but I think it takes five or 10 unique factors to make a PC cafe work and the States just doesn't have them. Right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you just, I mean, probably it starts with just having, needing the population density to support yep. something like that, which here yeah. in our town, there's just not that. Yeah, if no. you have a niche in our town, you may be the only person in that niche. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing, like, even if you go to somewhere like, like, uh, what, New York, like one of the most dense cities in, in the States right now, the cost of real estate is so high that it's absurd. Whereas in right. Seoul and most of Korea, you can always find like a shitty basement for almost nothing. Uh, and I think somebody, I think I heard once somebody was saying that a lot of the PC cafes are just like basically real estate investments more than anything else. Cause the, the price of real estate is increasing. So they just like, uh, so buy the space. It. yeah, you'll see a lot of, um, on the ground floor of a lot of like shopping centers, you'll see those, um, like crane machine mm -hmm. centers, like weird arcadey kind of things. And if you see one of those, it's because the owner is just like owns it and doesn't want to sell right now. So they just throw in a bunch of crane machines and call it a business <laughs> so that they can sell it later. Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. If they did that in the States, I think it's just a drug front, but I guess. Korea. <laughs> well, not to say that it's not a mafia front okay, because okay. apparently the Korean mafia is a real thing. And, okay. Uh, yeah. I remember there used to be, um, so I used to live in a pretty rough part of, part of Korea for my, for my last, um, my last year there, like rough, like I would walk about half a block down the street and there'd be hooker flyers just all over the ground. Like it was super fun. <laughs> But I remember one time I went into the fruit stand next to my house and I was like, I'm going to buy some apples. Uh, sagwa, please. Like that. Anyway, uh, that sagwa is the Korean for apple. That's as good as my Korean gets. Okay. And I remember I walked in and I looked to my left and there were three older Korean ladies just counting out big bills like as fast as they possibly could. And the owner immediately swooped in and was like, what can I get? Like, what do you need? Why are you here? Like in a very clear, get the fuck out of here. This is not really a fruit stand sort of voice. Yeah, uh, can I just good. take one of these then? Yeah. I'm still hungry. <laughs> I'm sure my eyes were about the size of dinner plates. I was like, that's more money than I've seen in years. Amazing. <laughs>
so you you've you said that you kind of graduated through a lot of different cities as you're kind of making your escape from the midwest <laughs> um eventually <laughs> ending up in in seoul and it, i'm assuming probably the largest city you've been in yeah um what i guess brought you back yeah so let's see i was in seoul for about two years and i was doing like teaching work and, and editing work which was fine but you know, I went to relax and I definitely relaxed at my jobs because they were super, super low key, super easy. And after two years, I was kind of, kind of bored, honestly. So my contract with the company that I was with ended and I immediately said, all right, I don't really want to renew with this company because I didn't like them in general. And then I said, what am I going to do with my life if I move back to the States or move somewhere else? And, um, I'd been doing Starcraft part-time basically every night. I was one of those guys who was like working to working to live at that point where I'd, I'd, you know, clock in for my eight to five or my nine to five and then immediately rush home to cast StarCraft. And I was very fortunate that I'd, I'd had some good jobs in the past. So I had some money saved up and I was like, well, I'll just go back home and either apply for other jobs in gaming that might be interesting. Or if I can't find like the right gig to get into with a real company, I'll strike out on my own and cast some StarCraft and like, try and build my following on Twitch and do the whole entrepreneur, Twitch streamer, tournament organizer thing. So um, I got invited to cast IEM qualifiers that year. And I remember I didn't have, I was living in my sister's house at the time. She was renovating a house. So I was living in that house, like no walls, exposed wires all over. Like every night I would cough and like a, a plaster mold of my lungs would come out of my <laughs> mouth. Like it was not healthy at all. Uh, and so I got invited to cast IEM qualifiers and I didn't have a computer. And I was like, oh, this would be great. But because I cast the GSL at that time. So I was sort of a known quantity in StarCraft. And I said, okay, I, I got I got to give this a shot. I got to see how this goes. So I called up some, like I put out a call to the official StarCraft community. And I was like, does anybody have a computer I can borrow for a week to cast with? And uh, some guys in Minneapolis, Minnesota said, uh, yeah, come on up, man. We got a computer for you. It's uh, uh, if you guys know, I don't know if you know how, how into the StarCraft community you are, but Toast and his friends were like, we got, a, we got a computer for you. Come on up, man. So early January, I drove to Minneapolis, which I'm going to say on, on air, and you can quote me on this, don't fucking go to Minneapolis in January, guys. <laughs> don't do it. I grew up with Midwestern winters, and I'll tell you, that's they got some new shit up there that we haven't had. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but it's wrong. Humans should not exist there. Yeah, no. Anywhere uh, north, anything north of the Midwest in winter, mm, like past October, is just a no-go zone for me. Like, no. I can't do it. I think it was like, it was. I don't think the temperature went above zero the whole time oh. I was there. Yeah. And so, and the qualify. So anyway, so I drove up to Minneapolis, and I found, I got the computer from Toast, and he loaned it to me, and his buddy loaned me his sound system. And um, I called a local like shared office space and I said, hey, this is weird. Can I rent a space from you for a couple weeks or a week and a half, whatever? And the guy was like, oh, what do you need? To, what do you, like, what's going on? And they said, oh, I'm an esports commentator. And it turns out the guy that I had called purely by chance was like a, a Mortal Kombat top 10 NA ranked That's fighter. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I do um, eSports. It's like professional. And he goes, no, no, shut up, man. I, I know. <laughs> You're so not they talking gave... to somebody that doesn't know. I got exactly. you. Exactly. Cool. It was great. I've it was been great. there too. <laughs> so he uh, he was like, yeah, come on up. We'll give you space for free. Just like put you know our, our brand underneath your stream or whatever. So I borrowed a computer and a microphone system and got a free like shared office space. And for the whole week, I casted about 10 hours a day of StarCraft. 
uh, Korean qualifiers, EU qualifiers, North American qualifiers. And at the end of the week, I was like, I was like physically hot. Like I don't do drugs, but I, I feel like I know what drugs are like after right. a week of casting Starcraft and just walking out on, with 10 feet of air below my shoes, just being like, this is, this is incredible. I know I like doing this. If I can do this every day, I'll be happy. And, uh, it was, is a revelatory moment. And then I drove back home through a blizzard and almost died. And I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to die without doing something I love. I got to start doing this full time. If you get me through this, God, I promise. (laughs) It was one of those. I was like, if you're up there, champ, this would be the time to not murder me, please. That's great. Wow. So I, I, you know, so many of the people that we we've talked to that are, are doing similar things to yourself, like fear dragon and Nathanius and vibe, you know, they're all, at one point or another, aspiring players. I mean, Vibe certainly made it to the top, but yeah. Um, but even like Fear Dragon and and, uh, and Nathanius are like Masters League players, yeah. which to uh, to Brett and I is, I mean, they may as well be pros. Me too. Um, yeah, no, that's, they're up there. It's a pass. Well, so they're on it. it. It's so interesting that you're someone who didn't go to Korea for StarCraft, not not on the scene trying to like grind your way into the pro scene yourself. And then you end up casting at GSL, which is yep. like, it's like being like, now tell me again, what's American football? Oh, I don't have time. I got to go to do the Super Bowl. I mean, yes, it's like crazy. Like, <laughs> exactly. so how does that happen? How do you sharpen up your knowledge uh, yeah. when you're not that invested in that way to begin with? So I think that's, that's a mis- not a, sorry, I'm going to call it a mistake. No. That's a misconception that a lot of people have, I think, about what I do. And like, you don't have to be a pro athlete to understand the strategy and tactics of a, of a sports game. And while it's helpful to have been on the ground, that's not mandatory. And especially in esports, it's not something you need. I always say like the, the Venn diagram of skill sets of a professional player and a professional caster don't overlap at all, like almost none. And we see that a lot. If you guys watch like home story cup, uh, pro players get on the mics and it's hilarious because they're, terrible casters and it's funny yeah uh but and they know a lot about the game don't get me wrong it's really important to have good game knowledge but that's about the only thing that matters and i think that's one thing but that's one of the reasons i started starcraft is because i would i would go to the gsl and then i would watch all these tournaments at home and as someone with a background like i said i started in like opera performance in college and i was a child actor growing up and i've been basically on stage since i was about five years old and I realized that, oh, none of the people in this, I think there's like one other person in the scene who has a background in performing arts or a background in entertainment at all. None of these people really know how to be an entertainer first and then do whatever else they're doing second. And obviously it's a skill you pick up over time and you get better at it, but without formal training, it's something that I noticed a lot of professional esports casters were missing. So when I started going to the GS, like, don't get me wrong, Tasteless and Artosis are amazing entertainers now. And they've had, you know, fucking 20 years to learn how to do it or whatever. But neither of them have a background in professional entertainment or understand some of the fundamental rules of how you're supposed to create, like, a live experience. It Basically, what I always say is that casting StarCraft is doing a two to six hour improv show, a comedy improv show where you're also trying to do a PowerPoint presentation at the same time. And there are so many rules of improvisational comedy and improvisational performance that a lot of casters don't understand and don't follow. Mm. So I was able, very fortunately, able to, I mean, it's taken me forever now. I've been doing this for four years, give or take, and I'm still, you know, like a B B stream guy at best. But it's it's one of those things that's that's 
really irked me a lot about the the esports industry in general, not just StarCraft, but every every esport I watch. I'm like, oh yeah, you know a lot about the game. You don't know how to structure a conversation so that people understand what's happening after, you know, for for an audience. And you guys as podcasters know. You like there are very specific ways you have to treat the conversation and very specific ways that you have to build structure so that the people watching can understand what's going on. Yeah, I and think so, that's that's something ahead. that uh that really kind of throws me off a lot about like I don't know a whole lot about American football, but I can watch the Super Bowl and have a good time. And yes. I can know a lot about any game that I'm interested in, whether you're a Twitch streamer or a caster. I think that there is a whole lot to entertainment and there it's it the audience will know if you're being disingenuous unless like you said like you're really well trained and you're able to pull off essentially acting. Um if there's tons of YouTubers that are, their openings can, it can just be a guide. Walker and I were talking about this the other day. I was looking up a training guide for a game to get me started, kind of boost me in. And within 30 seconds, I was like, no, this could have the best information yep. and be the best guide, but I can't watch it. And and it has to be kind of watchable first. And yeah. then I can pick up all the little details along the way. A hundred percent. And I'll see like uh, I, occasionally people will post on Reddit or Twitter or something. I'll see somebody that's like, oh, I'm trying to cast my first StarCraft game. Uh, what do you guys recommend? And the top five, like the the people who get to the post before I get there and set them all straight because I'm right. The first people are always like, oh, you need to be like grandmaster level. So just hit the ladder and grind forever. And that's just with, with all due respect, it's garbage advice, man. It's terrible. Um, learn improv comedy. Learn learn how to perform. Learn how to speak. Practice your speech. Uh, warm up your vocal cords before. Like there are so many things you can do that are so much better than trying to become a grandmaster at the game. I mean, you wouldn't watch the Super Bowl if if Joe Buck was going, oh, and the nickelback is at the four o'clock position. He's going to go for the 45 slot. Uh, watch very carefully as he tries. Nobody gives a shit. Like, <laughs> yep. And, and this big is, dude this, crushed other big dude. Ball got thrown. Yes. And I think and this is one of my personal bugaboos about esports in general. But I think the loudest voices in Twitch chats and on forums are the people who are like, oh, we need to hear more about the strategy because they're the people who are on forums and on Twitch chat. And I think the huge majority of people who watch any esport, but especially StarCraft these days, are people who are like have a vague understanding of what's happening and need to be talked through sort of the general strategy and do not give a fuck what plus two Baneling armor does against a composition of Marine Marauder mine. Like no one, no one really cares about that. And I think it's a, a waste of time to try and explain that kind of stuff for the one guy in chat who's going to be like, oh, thank God this caster actually knows what he's talking about. We all know this. I'm just not wasting my time telling you bullshit that doesn't matter. It's kind of the death by marketing committee. And oh, that happens yeah. like like the Sonic movie, right? Exactly. Like like somehow that made it through all the way through as yes men all the way through said, yes, this is how it yeah. should be. And the general community thankfully pushed back hard enough to, to get that that pulled back because man hog was not something we needed on the screen. God, but I think that terrifying. happens about, like I. There was there was it wasn't last year's I think it was the year before uh, I got to watch uh, on Thanksgiving one of the ESPN like six channels or something had uh, Overwatch Ocho. on right and like Overwatch was being played and so yeah. a lot of the older generation was like this is ESPN but this looks like a game and it's like yeah this is esports but then none of them could get into it because the casters were not energized there was not a story being told. There was not fun engagement. It was just kind of stats and positioning and whatnot. And that other side is so important. 
and this is that yeah I, I tuned into a i'm working with a with a poker company right now and they were they want me to host one of their events in a couple of weeks and so i tuned into their stream and the, and the, the commentators from the beginning had no they didn't even introduce themselves much less the players and so they just like started immediately talking about some in joke that i wasn't part of and i felt immediately i was like oh this feels like some starcraft events that i've seen in the past where the play, they're just like and we're in and everybody knows clem's a big deal so he's going marine first instead of instead of reaper opener and that's a big deal and it, it's the same sort of thing you're not telling a coherent story from start to finish so I've, I've rambled about this long enough but you guys yeah you guys know what i'm no, talking about now. i i greatly appreciate this this take on it um because i, I obviously i'm not a caster of any sort but mm -hmm. You know, I watch traditional sports a lot and right. you know, Joe Buck that you bring up or Bob Costas or any of these guys, they're not ex-pro athletes. No. And to your point with esports, also in traditional sports, like now there are exceptions, you know, Tony Romo in football kind of came up and shocked a lot of people with how good they think his commentating is or whatever. Yeah. But he's kind of an exception, not the rule, right? Like most pro athletes that try and make that jump are terrible. No. <laughs> and I think with esports, I, 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 I don't know if it's because as popular as it is, it's still in the, the larger scale, more of an emerging thing. Right. So, so it's not attracting talent like yourself the whole time. And so then the people who are willing to do it are the players that don't have that same skill set. Um, yeah. Not that you can't be an amazing commentator. Sure. A player. There are some, I, I mean, look at fucking day nine, who is like one of the best entertainers yep. in esports right now. But that's because he understands, and he's not formally trained, but he understands how entertainment needs to happen. I love that you bring up Bob Costas, because uh, every time the Olympics rolls around, people are like, what the fuck is Bob Costas doing here? He's never he's never been on a pommel horse before. And you're like, yeah, you don't have to be, man. Right. That's but not he's been on a microphone before, which right. is actually exactly. is important for <laughs> exactly. what he's Much doing. more important. Right. And again, I'm I'm obviously I'm a much better commentator when I'm paired with someone who's when my when I'm with Tony Romo who can I can say, oh, that was a very complex fight. I thought this was going to happen. Something else happened, uh, you know. And, and whoever my analytical commentator is, I can throw it to them and say, Ravi, what explain to me what happened there and give him some space. But uh, when I have a co-caster, I find I'm most of the time doing that sort of ringmaster, like, okay, I got to set this up and give them time to speak and then help tell the story in between. And that's that's usually the best way that things work. Yeah, we've talked some in the past about how the the dual dynamic of the analyst and the kind of community support person, the person that yeah. is more the layman, yeah. uh, and but that person having the energy to be able to drive what the audience is feeling, and then the analyst being able to come in and say why they're feeling that, I think is, is a really good dynamic, and it's really important to have both sides of that. Like having two analysts or two people that are showmen that can cause a lot of conflict too. So <laughs> sometimes it works. It's rare. Like one of my, one of my common casting partners is Grant and we're both just sort of hype guys. We're both just <laughs> dumb and fun and it's, it's a great time. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's something else I did want to mention is just that like, if you have, um, you know what? I've lost my train of thought. Just, just go on without me. I'll catch up in a minute. No, you're good. Oh, so I was just going to, I mean, kind of going back to, to the Korea thing a little oh, yeah. bit. But have you know you've been obviously at live at GSL? Have you been to live non-Korean StarCraft like major tournaments? Never. I have never attended a StarCraft II tournament outside of the GSL in my life. So I shit you not. I lived in Boston, Massachusetts, in I think 2012. And again, who knows with my life? I think it was 2012. But there was an MLG in Providence, Rhode Island that year. Mm. Providence is like an hour from Boston, give or take. 
So I didn't want to go because I don't have the best like social anxiety situation at all. So I was like, I, I love this. I'm going to watch it from home, but I wanted to be part of the action somehow. So I put out, it was a Reddit thread. I remember on, on r slash Starcraft like 10 years ago. And I said, Hey, if anybody's going to MLG Providence, I live in Boston. You can come sleep in, on like a, in a sleep, like bring a sleeping bag, come sleep in my apartment. And I'll, I'll like, I can give you a ride to Providence and back. Or if you drove here, I can, I can like, I can work it out. So I had a big party at my place actually. And there were like eight Starcraft nerds that showed up from just like random, like some dudes flew in from wherever and some guys drove. It was crazy. Uh, but that's the closest I've ever been to an, an outside of the GSL Starcraft event. And since I just got like, I started casting full time just when coronavirus hit. So everything went to, went to digital. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping that I get invited to a live event when they come back, but who knows? So you've mentioned in, in a few different ways, and I'm not entirely sure where this is going to go, but like you've mentioned a lot of integration with various Reddit communities and mm. just what I would call uh, maybe adventurous risks, like opening your house up to, you know, a bunch of StarCraft nerds, yeah. a lot of trust in the internet. Um, but it, it's largely seemed to work in your favor uh, thus far in your storytelling uh, I guess in that vein, though, do you have any horror stories that have come from that? Not one. Aside, really? from, onla aside from online dating, which is a whole nother. Thing. <laughs> and if you guys want to do another podcast about Creighton and his exploits, picking up <laughs> men and women on the Internet, we could talk about that later. But no, I have never had a bad experience creating a community that started online. And I'll credit that to a few things. Um, I So you guys might not know, I have a, a master's degree. I have an MBA. So I understand like a little bit about how to create like a community and how to manage a group of people that are all trying to accomplish the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it sounds super fucking dirty when I say it, cause obviously I want to get, I want to pretend like the degree I got was worth a shit. It's not. Um, but I want to pretend like it is. So I'll say that like the skills you learn are a hundred percent transferable to putting together a community of any kind. So like I've, I've just moved to Kansas city. I'm new here. And in the time that I've been here, I've already set up a weekly board game group through the internet and I'm working on a D and D group right now that like, I'm going to organize and run and stuff. So I've been very fortunate that I have not yet had a bad example. And there are some strat, you know, there's some steps you can take, like always, always meet people in meet space first and sort of trust your instincts. There's some great, great literature about how to like figure out if people are cool or not. Um, I always <laughs> recommend true. there's a, there's a great book called the gift of fear by a guy named Gavin DeBecker. And he talks a lot about just like how to analyze if humans are, are being real with you or not. Um, but a, a number of things that you learn, but no, I've legitimately never had a bad experience and especially in the Starcraft community and not just to like, you know, keep, keep jerking off the community that I love cause they're great and everything. But I think we're fortunate that we've been out for 10 years now. Starcraft has been around for 10 years. Anybody who's not serious or is out to just troll is probably mostly bored of us by now. Like they're like, oh, those Starcraft fucks, they're going to love their game no matter what. Probably so, not visiting the Reddit and trying to find a place to stay. Exactly. That's fair. exactly. So no, I haven't got, it also helps that I'm like a, like a not very attractive white guy <laughs> and like nobody wants to murder me. Lies and slander. You're not your type. There's no, yeah, there's no interest in murdering me at all. <laughs> so you, you've brought up, um, we of course had a little bit of a conversation about D and D before the show started. Yes. Um, but you've also brought up, uh, organizing a board game group and the show is more than just video games. We focus on video games a lot, but I got to know what is your go-to either a, so I want to like, what's your go-to board game, like as a fave in general, and then mm -hmm. what's your go-to 
somebody is a little bit uneasy or maybe not a huge board gamer, they only know the classics or something, yep. and you want to break them into board games and show them a, a wider world. Great question. That's that's legitimately everything I'm doing right now. So I just started this board game group about a month ago, uh, six weeks ago. I just, I just I've been in town for like eight weeks now, so I started right away. So new people that are not into board games, I'll start with either like Ticket to Ride, which I always call Candyland for adults because you can't like it's so easy, you can't fuck it up. Yep. Or uh, if they want to be a little more serious, Dominion is one of my favorites. It's so easy once you get in. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Like the the gameplay loop is really tight in Dominion, and it makes a lot of sense. I'm so a those big are probably Carcassonne my... fan myself. So yeah, no Carcassonne's exactly yep. one of those games where you know same with takes... Ticket to Ride. Very easy to jump into, but it gets complex as the game gets going. Yeah, and they're both fun if you're not taking them seriously, which is so important because so many people that show up to board game nights are just like there for a tap. Like the guy we had, like so my board game night is Tuesday night, which was last night, and like we had a new guy last night. And he had six beers. I have never seen somebody drink six beers on a board game night before ever. <laughs> like I have one, and I'm like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Uh, he got he got way fucked up. But again, he, he took Ticket to Ride sort of seriously. And then after five beers, he didn't care anymore and played Dominion mm -hmm. and still had a great time. Like they're both great games to start with. Our, and then our board game nights may be a bit weird if six beers is a is an upper limit. <laughs> well, we're in we're, we're in public. I do them at like the local board okay, game shop. Okay, okay, fair. But if, if they were at my place, no, that'd be, right. yeah, be a little more. And then my favorite, you can see it on my shelf behind me. Again, great podcast, great ver verbal audio podcast format. But you can see it on my shelf behind me, Terraforming Mars. Uh, I'm jamming on that right now, man. I've it's seen that one a so, couple of times. I've been oh, wondering about fuck, it. So. It's so good. It's good? It, the solo mode is incredibly like really? challenging, but still really. And that's one big thing I look for in board games because I'm lonely as fuck. So if I'm going to buy a board game, I want to pay off and I want to mm -hmm. go play it when I'm when I'm on my own. Uh, the solo mode is great. And then the competitive mode is also just incredible. Terraforming Mars is so good. We, uh, so good. we got into pandemic enough that yeah. we want to get the legacy versions because yeah. I, I love that that's a style of game that has come to light. Because, like, what board game have you played more than 10 times? Exactly. And if you're only going to play a board game 10 times, tear up the rule book, put stickers on it, mark on the board with a Sharpie, 100%. really get in there. And, and, and it feels so heretical to do because, like, a board game goes back in the box. It's in pristine condition. It's all yeah. good. And to get in there and like you get to pick one of these two rules to put on the card, it's a sticker and you have to tear the other one up. <laughs> and it's like, I can't like, yeah. I, there's something in me that like once you get over that and tear your first sticker, you're like, we're in. It's going to happen. It's because the beauty of board games that they create a world that has rules and the, for, for an hour or two hours or whatever, those rules become the rules of the real world. So that's mm -hmm. why board games are so engaging is because they allow you to create this other rule set and live by these, you know three pages or whatever and nothing else matters and so to, to change things up really matters it really really messes with you i love it that's the same reason i got um sherlock holmes consulting detective which is also great i was reticent when i bought it because like it comes with only 10 cases and obviously i'm gonna want to it feels like i'm getting cheated somehow i'll only get to play it 10 times but then also how many board games do you own that you've played 11 or more times it's right. it's few well so you know you've mentioned you know we're talking about kind of some alternative um hobbies of yours you know, yeah, we're way of, off we're way off track it's a very no no way to say it walker thanks man no this is my attempt at a segue <laughs> it's um, a good it's good keep going <laughs> no but i was not many people you, one up walker that was great <laughs> you've uh you've also talked about you know your background in performing arts entertainment so do you do you pursue those things in any capacity like are you are, are you doing plays or theater are you on stage anywhere or are you just channeling that into starcraft 
Yeah, I'm mostly channeling that through StarCraft right now. I've been moving so much. I haven't lived in the same apartment for more than 12 months since like 2013. Like it's been, I've been around, which really sucks. Um, I'd like to be back on the on the stage at some point. I've got, you can't see it, but on my right-hand side here, I've got a couple of playbills from the, I was in like Les Mis and a, a show called Next Fall and a bunch back when I lived in um, in Iowa. I haven't been performing much lately though. I, I performed in a church choir in uh, Wells, England for a while. I got to sing in the Wells Cathedral, which is like this giant, enormous cathedral from the, I don't know, 800s or whatever. It's freaking beautiful. Um, but I haven't had the chance to like connect with a local it's it's hard to do performing arts on your own and i haven't had the chance to connect with like a local group yet so i'm hoping once i sort of put my feet down and figure out where i'm going to be for the next i i'm looking for a place to settle down right now and once i find it i'll definitely get back into theater and performing arts it's just hard yeah. to lightning do. question oh, you're yeah. cast in hamilton what's your dream role i've never seen hamilton i'm gonna be in a lot of trouble i know i know that oh my face God. everybody makes that face <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I don't I, like musicals. Right, well then, so I, I mean, look at look at my skin color and tell me the only yeah, role right, in Hamilton that I'm fair. legally allowed to play. I think, right? I what would your dream right? role be in any? Ah, uh, my dream role. Uh, if I was not a bass baritone, which I am, and there's no good roles for bass baritones. Uh, if I was like a tenor or like a proper baritone, I've always wanted to be Joseph in the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat. I don't know why. I think I got in. I fell in love with that as a young kid. And like, it's always been sort of my dream, like ugh, it'd be so much fun. I also want to be uh, Leo Bloom in the producers because that would be amazing. I could, I could pull that off so well. I just have to learn how to tap dance, but that's easy. Yeah, you could get that, you know. Easy. And then if I was about 15 years younger, I would be uh, Elder Price in, in the Book of Mormon, which is again, just a dream role. But I'd have to have like a high, I think he goes up to a high F sharp in that. And that's about five notes higher than I can actually sing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So uh, shifting away from, from StarCraft, I guess, a bit, but are you, uh, again, I, I'm a little, I, I'll just have to just be candid. Like, yeah. again, so many of the other casters and stuff that we've talked to, like, this is their lane, right? And yeah. I don't mean that in a disparaging way for them yeah. at all, but just like, this is their career path. And for you, like, you're kind of jumping around a lot. And, and again, I don't mean that in a disparaging way either. Uh, yeah. um, but just, like, do you see yourself casting starcraft until until the the wheels fall off do you plan on going to other games do you think you'll be casting <laughs> in another five years or will you know, this just be another bump in the road no deep question this is a good one actually uh no no i'm actually looking for other jobs right now trying to get out of starcraft casting i am the i am one of i think two people in the world right now who makes their living casting starcraft exclusively mm. uh, i don't play valorant on my stream i don't play league of legends on my stream i don't i don't fuck around like if i'm streaming it's starcraft like very occasionally i'll have a i don't know i'll be like oh, i'm taking the day off i'm just gonna play civ or whatever but I'm, i think i'm one of only two people in the world who is 100 percent a starcraft mm. caster right now and that's all i do with my time i was live casting starcraft for 140 hours last month uh, which is an insane amount of casting to do. Because as you guys know, time that you spend on the mics is like counts for like two or three hours for every hour you spend, just because the work you do behind it is so, so intense. And even though I'm the only one of the only people full-time casting StarCraft right now, and I, I feel like I'm pretty dang good at it, uh, I am still not getting invites to cast big name events. Mm. I'm just, uh, I feel, I guess I'm just a little bit late to the party. Uh, when I started casting four years ago, I thought, I've got the the talent in the background to be able to pull 
some of the some of the audience away from whatever it is was watching and to be invited to these big events because I think I'm talented enough to do it. And after four years, I, I still have not earned any major in like I cast the GSL. That's because Tasteless was on vacation and I'm like the only English speaking caster in Korea at the time. So it sounds impressive, but really I'm just the only white guy around that knows what a Zella is. <laughs> and that's it's a pretty low bar to entry. And since then, I've not been asked to cast the mainstream at any major events with one exception. And so it's it's been really disheartening for me to put so much work into this and uh, just not be able to sort of break into the old boys club. So, no, I'm, I'm definitely on my way out. I'm trying to find try, trying to find work right now with another company. Uh, until that happens, I'll keep doing StarCraft because I obviously I love it and it's amazing. And even once I get a, another full time job, I'll probably keep doing StarCraft for a while. But I think it's fair to say at this point that the the talent lineups of pretty much solidified and there's no room for it's weird to think of myself as a new guy because i've been doing it for four years but no room for anybody who wasn't there at the dawn of time who's who knows the words of deep magic when they were spoken <laughs> a little rep for all you c.s lewis fans out there there you go yeah i mean it's definitely an old um in, in the space of gaming it's an older game yeah. um and yeah i mean most of the other casters that we talked to definitely started pre heart of the swarm right yep. so i mean before an expansion even came out so mm -hmm. um yeah your sentiment your sentiment makes sense so no uh, no plans for another game or anything though like you're not going to go cast the new thing from frost giant whatever that is <laughs> no i'll probably i'll probably again i've gotten until given my genetics i've gotten until about age 32 until i die so about <laughs> a couple more months i think and i'll probably, I probably won't make it to see the frost giant game Okay. Uh, please clip that and play it at my funeral. <laughs> be sure when I actually accidentally get hit by a bus in a couple of weeks, people are going to be like, oh, he called it. Um, uh, no, I, I'm so I'm working with a company right now. Like I said, I'm going to cast some poker in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, but nah, I'm, I'm not really. I, I love StarCraft first and foremost. It's, it's mm -hmm. what I've been spending so much time in. And if I get another hosting job or a commentating job doing something else, it'll be it'll be gravy. But at this point, it's it's not sustainable. I, like I said mm -hmm. before, I'm very fortunate that I've got I've got like some money saved up and everything. But uh, I worked a hundred. I, I don't want to get too technical and shitty with you guys, but I worked 140 hours on camera last month, uh, which is probably about 200 hours, given the fact that I organized all the tournaments as well. And my Twitch take home was like 1,500 bucks, mm -hmm. uh, which is just just right. absurd. Um, so without without getting tickets to big events that pay like a little bit more reasonable amount. It's just, it's not sustainable. And I, I'm happy to do it for as long as I need to, but it also, I don't want to, you know, do Starcraft for eight years and then have no money in the bank and Starcraft is dead. And I don't know. So yeah. bit of a, bit of a bummer of a note there, but yeah, I'm sort of, I'm sort of on my way my out. No, 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 you know, it's, it's a great question, Walker. And it's something people don't ask people a lot is what do you want to do next? So yeah. we've, we've hit on some, some board games and uh, you've also talked about your history with video gaming being a bad gamer. So we definitely Terrible. feel welcomed to the club on that one. Excellent. Good. Um, but what got you started in gaming? Uh, oh, so, so were you started in board games? Were you started in, cause you're of that age where it could go either way. Um, where did you get your first <laughs> love in gaming? And I don't mean that. Yeah. I don't mean we're that older we, than you. So we, yeah, you we, can't we, age. shame <laughs> us. We're, we're we're the boomer gamer. Yeah, but I just mean that, like, <laughs> yeah, I, me I actually think me too. I, I'm not sure. I, I really am not sure. I think I touched a video game controller before I touched, mm. like, before my dad taught me backgammon or card games. I think I was <laughs> nice. playing the ColecoVision and the Atari. So I'm not entirely sure. They can go a lot of ways. So, sure. 
first, first and foremost, I just want you guys to know, I definitely understand the age thing. <laughs> when I cast, I shit you not, I cast some games and I'll be like, oh, this player, he's been around the scene forever. He's he's well known. He's competed in the very first StarCraft tournament. And I look up his age and he's 26. And yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. These kids are so young. Shit. I, I know. Happens to me all the time. We interviewed uh, so, people who were born after the year 2000, and it's like, yeah, you, what? I cast, <laughs> You're supposed last, to still be a child. <laughs> the last event I cast was Max Pax won the whole thing. This, this motherfucker won like five grand, in, or or Clem won five grand in the tournament. I could be his father. Like, like <laughs> if I had made better choices and been cooler in high school, right. I could have been this kid's dad. Right. And was all, if I was French, but you know, well, right. Uh, it's terrifying. So my background in gaming, um, so I grew up in a very conservative Christian household in the Midwest. In the Midwest? No. No. The exception, not the it's, rule. It's <laughs> why. I know it's hard to believe. And my parents hated video gaming. My father is a farmer. Uh, my mother was a, an elementary school librarian and teacher and like did not do video games at all. I don't I think remember- you can have a more stereotypical start genuinely what? like i sound like a like a bore like a protagonist of a very boring novel uh, my father anyway um so my parents hated video games uh we had an ibm aptiva growing up and i remember on that computer trying to play every single game i could get my hands on but my parents knew the computer time was bad because my brain would leak out of my ears so they limited me to 20 minutes a day of computer time which is not very much computer time because you know when you're like four years old, 20 minutes is that. It's like 50% of your life. It right. dissipates <laughs> so fast. So I got, I don't, I don't know, hooked is, is probably the, the, an overused word, but definitely hooked. And then I bought, and this if this is going too long, t- tell me, we can cut the feed. Uh, I got when I was probably what, 13, 14, maybe early middle school years, um, whatever year it was, I had saved up money for my after school jobs and I saved up enough to buy a Nintendo 64. And I was like, I, I'm going to buy this. And I know my mom's not going to let me play it. I'm going to bring it home. And I'm not going to tell her about it. And I bought Harvest Moon 64, which to this day, fantastic first like game to get broken into. Yep. And uh, for those of you who have played Harvest Moon 64, you'll know that the days are about 10 to 12 minutes long for every day that you play. Now, the 20-minute rule was still in effect when I was playing Harvest Moon 64. So I recall having months and months of the unbelievable agony of playing 50 or 60 or 70% of a day in Harvest Moon 64. And then my mom's 20 minute timer would go off. And since she hated video games, she would rush into the family room and punch the reset button on the N64 like that. And I couldn't, yeah. So deep seated childhood trauma. That is like, I'm about in tears. You can feel the pain, can't you? Yeah. Like I've had, I've had save game, like problem with like dad overwrote my save game by accident. I cried. I overwrote Mm -hmm. his in retaliation and called it an accident. He grounded me. <laughs> but that was once, right? Like this is not like every day. Like I, yep. I think I don't think anybody would ever touch an electronic device of mine ever again. So, like, so yeah, I've got, forever. I've, I've got this trauma, right? Growing up like a wound in my soul for years and years. And so all through high school, I would like sneak to my friends' houses to play GoldenEye sixty four. My mom, by the way, didn't like Harvest Moon because at the end of the day in Harvest Moon sixty four, you have the option to go to the bar and buy a glass of wine and drink it. And she was like, how? could you possibly 
I'm the only one that comes home idea. from work and drinks wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without without this turning into like Creighton Olson's therapy session. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so I'd like sneak over to friends' houses to play Goldeneye and like, it was, it was wild. So of course, when I went to college and I had a computer for the first time that was my own, uh, I got so addicted to World of Warcraft. You would not believe, I mean, my <laughs> freshman year of college was 2006, right? And that was like peak fucking burning crusade, World of Warcraft, hype frenzy. I had a friend who hooked me up. And so the only game I've ever been competitive at, like at a real competitive level was, was World of Warcraft during the Burning Crusade and Wrath of the Lich King, where I was in a top five NA rating guild. Mm. And that's because I learned how to press five or six buttons <laughs> and I did it all the time nonstop. So I didn't like that was my first like real exposure to video games. And then when Starcraft 2 came out, I was already I was already on the Blizzard hype train. It just, just sort of transferred because Starcraft 2 came out in 2010. It was like just when I graduated college. So I was like, oh, I'm a college graduate now. I need to graduate to a game that requires a college degree to play. <laughs> hey, Starcraft perfect 2. timing. Perfect timing. Um, and yeah, so so I didn't actually get into board games at all until I lived in Boston, Massachusetts after after I finished undergrad. And I lived in Boston. I met some local guys who had a board game group. And I was like, I need some friends. I'll just go and see what's up. And they were great. And, they, and I played board games every week with those guys. They were fun fact. They were all electrical engineers, so they were, and they like they like were really smart guys. They they designed the chips that go in our phones, like genuinely intelligent guys. So and they played all these board games. They played Puerto Rico, and that's where I got addicted to Dominion and stuff. And so they would before we played, they would all take huge rips off of a bong, and that was their handicap because I I had no way of competing <laughs> with them unless they were at least a little bit high, and that's uh that's that's how I got into board. That was my my trial by fire to board games. This week every. Tuesday night or something, we'd go over and they'd smoke a giant joint of meat and drink a bunch of beer and they'd all do huge hits of of marijuana and we'd play a fuck ton of board games. So yeah, I've had a very weird sort of like jerky path to get into it. But I think certainly my childhood trauma has led to me binging on video games more than is probably healthy. Hey, Walker, do you know our podcast is almost big enough to start selling ads? Yeah, I had noticed that. So what do you think? Should we go mattress company, VPN, some mobile game? Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe coffee. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good free trade local. No, no, no. Like Ko-Fi, like donations. Oh, oh, right. So so we we do ads for Ko-Fi and for coffee. I mean, I guess that could work. But I was thinking that people could support the show with really small donations about the cost of a cup of coffee. And then we could skip to talking about mattress companies or mobile games and just keep all of that content out of the show, uh, they can just head over to our Ko-Fi page over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod and contribute to us there. Oh, I get it. So you're saying even if our listeners donated a single dollar over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod, it would go a long way towards funding the podcast. And in the future, we could even offer cool things like merch or rewards and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's definitely one way that we can pay our bills, keep our mics hot and keep the show going. And if they can't donate, that's okay too let's just let him get back to enjoying the show walker i think you're muted buddy
<laughs> yeah. I was going to say it's not the same smooth runway. Almost that the rest 100 of your life. episodes. Almost 100 episodes. <laughs> my, my local board game shop has a whiteboard that's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been X days since a TP, TKP. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's, that you guys need one of those. It's been 400 episodes, whatever. Yeah. Right, anyway, right. sorry, Walker, go Very on. Close. No, no, you're good. You're good. I was going to make a, a, a joke that's actually not worth making now. So it's all good. No, we um, have time to review it. I hate it's it when that happens. Got in the way. <laughs> Damn it. Timing, Come on. timing is, is every everything you know what i mean it, it is. is yes um yeah well i i i was gonna i guess i'll ask you this question and it's typically one of the questions we ask towards the end but it doesn't have to be you know the end of our conversation certainly um but that's just you know the, the tagline of our show is is why gaming matters yeah. um being older gamers you know we find that people kind of look at gaming in in a lot of ways as as a toy probably like your parents did right like it's like oh, it's yeah. just this this toy thing or whatever but for Brett and I, I mean, it's a huge social outlet for us um, and, and just very meaningful in a lot of ways. But so when you hear why gaming matters, what, what is your thought on that that statement? Yeah, so there's um, there's this really cool story. I, so I used to do management consulting for a while as an independent consultant, and I actually did gamification back when it was a big deal, like in 2016, 2017. Um, and I would, I would always tell the story when I started my gamification presentations of uh, King Addis of Lydia, who famously led the Macedonians through one of the worst, um, uh, worst famines they've ever had. And famously, the way he got them through the famine was he said, okay, uh, there's only enough food for half of us. So either half of us die or I'm going to have you all eat half of your food for, the, for your, half your ration for the day. And then for the rest of the day, don't work. Play games, roll dice, uh, uh, create something, hang out, um, and they got through the famine without with like significantly fewer losses than they than they should have, which is a really cool little story and gets people interested in like why how gaming can actually change things. But uh, again, without uh, without getting too philosophical here, it is my my firm belief in life that there are few things that modern humans can do that are more important than playing games. Games develop all of your senses I, at the same time. They, they encourage critical thinking, uh, prediction. They build communities. They build connections. Uh, basically, everything that you want to be as a human is improved when you game. And games are one of the few places where we as humans can put aside... One of my favorite parts about my board game nights is at the beginning... Everyone shows up and they're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a management consultant. Oh, I'm a software engineer. Oh, I'm a, a local politician or whatever. And then when you're 25 minutes into Settlers of Catan, it doesn't matter what your job is. You're all fucking yelling at the same douchebag who won't sell you any goddamn sheep. Like, motherfucker, shut up. This may have happened you are recently. still a yellow piece. <laughs> yes. It doesn't matter. And, and gaming is a great way to bring people together and, and sort of sharpen those skills. So I always like why gaming matters is a great question. And my response is because there's nothing more important we could do with our time. And I know that comes from the fact that I am never going to be a famous designer or a famous like my, my brain is very small, guys. So the best I can do is hope to make it a little bit more wrinkly over time. And uh, playing games is the best way to do that. There's there's no I mean, there's no better way to build more skills at the same time than gaming with other humans. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. Oh, please, yeah. Brett, go ahead. No, that's, that's, cue cue, that's, the, cue the music from Chariots of Fire. <laughs> oh, it, it, it really is, though. Like, I I've, I gave a, a recent quick presentation on, you know, the podcast to a few people that were really un, 
uninitiated to that kind of like podcasting about big gaming. And there is a lot of sure. eyes glazed over. And, and I asked them like, like two questions that I asked them is like, do, do you, when do you love seeing, like, do you love it when you see cats, like kittens play fighting that's gaming? And 100%. do you love the sound of vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers? If not look at podcasting. Like, and, and those that's combined is just where we're at a hundred percent. Well, that's, a, and that's such a huge thing. When I used to do management consulting, I, that was a big thing that people don't understand that games are how we build all of our skills as, as, as animals, right? When you, exactly. When you see a cat play fighting, it's not just having a good time. It's learning how to pounce. It's learning how to sneak. It's learning how agility and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and also just learning how to, um, social norms, right? Like yeah. how to fit in with a group or whatever. Like I remember listening, I think it was Jordan Peterson was talking about how even in games that are designed to be competitive. And so we think like, oh, it's all about the competition. Ultimately, we're all still cooperating under this larger umbrella of agreeing to play by the rules and agreeing to the format of the game and all that. So yeah. in the end, even if it's hyper competitive like StarCraft, um, it's actually still a, a big exercise of cooperation, which is you know, humanity's great strength or whatever. So a hundred percent. And this is what Brett was talking about earlier with pandemic, where it's like this, we've agreed for two hours that because we all exist in this world, that's full of rules written and mostly unwritten. And those rules can be violated by a bad actor at any time. And that's why humans have like trust and cooperation issues and stuff. But in a game, we've agreed for three hours that none of the other rules matter. We're wiping the slate clean. And we're going to start with a very firm, easy to understand 10, you know, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. You can't act outside of these rules. Uh, and this is how we work together to solve solve our problem or get together or whatever. And it's it's a beautiful example of, of this sort of mini society where we all learn to trust again. It's it's I love games. Fucking love games. <laughs> well, and it's 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 kind of interesting. You 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 bring up like these 10 rules. It just makes me think that like how much easier were the Ten Commandments when that was like the, I don't want to get super religious or anything. Yeah, but like, but like this is the game we're playing now, mm -hmm. and these are the rules that we're going to play by. And I think that setting that up at a table it does it breaks down boundaries because everybody can have their boundaries. But like you said, for a little while we're going to take all of that and push it aside, and we're going to say let's just pretend that these are the only boundaries that we have. Mm -hmm. And what happens? And I've played board games with people that I didn't like, you know, interpersonally outside of the board game. Oh, yeah. And they become my best friend that it's like, no, we're allied. We're on a team now. And uh, the rules say that I have this item and you have that skill. And if we put these together, we can do something over here. And and so so at the board, all of a sudden, all of everything else, all of your other preset expectations and, and notions and stuff of what's going on in society get wiped clean. When, when I jump in a Rocket League with a random player, it's can you get the ball in the hoop? And yeah. that's all that matters. And I think that breaking down those barriers allows us to then reopen communication later and come back and go, okay, there's some things I don't agree with you on, but you can get the ball in the hoop. So we agree on something. What can we hash out in, in the in-between? Can we meet on a gray yeah. area? There's, there's a lot of great research. Humans hate uncertainty more than almost anything else. We will go to great lengths to avoid uncertainty, even if it means personal pain or uncomfort or, or discomfort or whatever. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that history has written 
the following names deeply into our conscious. We remember Hammurabi. We remember Moses. We remember uh, Caesar Augustus. We remember these great rule makers of our lives uh, because humans fucking love knowing what's going to happen next. Fun fact, did you know that uh, if you've been spoiled about the ending of a movie, you will enjoy that movie more than if you had not been spoiled? That's how much humans love uncertainty. We love certainty more than we love storytelling, and there's almost nothing humans love more than storytelling. Well, Walker is a pretty big believer in like, I don't think there's ever a movie that he hasn't watched that he's been like, ah, you can spoil it, it's fine. And that's true, but that's because I don't really care about most movies. Um, <laughs> what about Walker, your love of like, certainty, Walker? <laughs> well, that is my certainty. My certainty is is my my apathy, right? So that's <laughs> that's the concrete ground on which I, I rest. Let me tell you, Walker. I've been accused of being like a bougie piece of shit sometimes, but I've never heard somebody say that I'm. I'm sure that every movie I watch will be crap. Like that's <laughs> I, that's how I feel inside, but I don't have the confidence to say. Says something. the man who's got how many thousand games in their Steam library that they've never played. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you brought all this up. I, I'm not. I didn't. I didn't put myself on some pedestal or make some statement about my character. You brought this up. Um, yeah, I. I, I want to like movies more uh, than I do. And it's not that I hate movies. In fact, one time a friend of, I, of mine and I that are constantly accused of not liking movies sat down and wrote out a list of like a hundred movies that we like. So that way when people challenged us on this, we could be like, no, 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 I like this one and this one. <laughs> I, was, I was just about to ask you for like your top three, like movies that Walker will actually watch. Oh yeah. I mean, and again, I, to be clear also, this is not because I have like, I'm not like, well, if it's not Citizen Kane, then it's not worthwhile. Like, I don't, I, I've never garbage seen now. Did you see the, yeah. the whole Rotten Tomatoes controversy last week? Oh, oh no. <laughs> so apparently Rotten Tomatoes uh, increased the amount of reviews they had. Like they found some old backlog of reviews and they added to Citizen Kane some review from the 19 fucking 40s that was like, <laughs> oh, this movie's garbage or whatever. And it brought Citizen Kane's rating down so much that now the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is Paddington 2. <laughs> shit you know wow. that's a real story oh that's tough oh, that's um yeah so in no particular order i'll go um i'll go big short great great uh, movie i'll go matrix trilogy fabulous uh i'll go the fountain the, the fountain yeah literally never heard of it um did you see how big his eyes just got <laughs> <laughs> it is it, oh, well, walker introduced that one to me which is why which is why. so okay. the, yeah. the director of it is um is darren aronofsky which is the same guy that did like requiem for a dream probably his oh, most popular yeah, movie. That movie so it's not as depressing <laughs> or dark as that movie is <laughs> Good. Um, it'd be hard to be as depressing as dark as requiem for a dream yeah yeah kind of hard to describe the fountain succinctly uh it it, it kind of jumps around timelines a lot, but um, can you spoil it for me? So I'll enjoy it more. <laughs> kind of. It's um, a hard, it's a deep spoil. There's a yeah, lot I would going on to spoil the movie it. in order to spoil it. <laughs> All um, right. I'll add it to my list. It then. actually, it stars Hugh Jackman, uh, who's obviously Wolverine, but otherwise is like a Tony award-winning theater actor. Yeah, and, he's like a know, real deal. That's yeah. what I mean. So um, I, I would, uh, the fountain I didn't see in theaters and I had a ton of friends suggest it to me when it was in theaters that I did and, and I, you know, didn't listen cause I'm a movie snob. Um, I'm going to hate this. And I was wrong. I should have, because it is the most visually striking thing that I've ever seen. It's, it's uh it's, it's a real treat. So yeah, if you haven't seen the fountain, Noted. I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's great. 
Do you have like a sound clip you can play like Walker's recommendation? <laughs> Brett does yeah, do mouth some trumpets. Of our, so. Some of our <laughs> uh, some of our really early episodes, I, I edited in sound stuff, but we had discussed a little bit, and I was like, I don't want to get a soundboard, and <laughs> and that just adds to editing time. Yeah, and I'm lazy. Garbage. So <laughs> garbage. Okay, the founts noted. I'll add to my list. Yeah, yeah, it's up there great. with Trolls Two in the room and and Manos the Hands of Fate. It's just movies I've got to see because they're so good. I've not seen I've not seen any of those either. I've heard I've not heard of those except the Room. I've heard of that as being excellent, but yeah, ah, the Room. Yeah, no, watch if you get the chance. If you got like a whole day, watch the Room and then watch the Disaster Artist, which is the James Franco movie about the making of the Room. Uh, <laughs> it's a treat. It's, I, I, when I lived in when I lived in the the uh, UK, I watched it at the Prince Edward Theater, which is where they premiere like a bunch of weird shit. And they, they showed back to back The Room and then The Disaster Artist, which is like a movie all about the making of this just hilariously terrible movie. Uh, both I would recommend highly. They're great. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Any uh, director's cut or uh, uh, when you can watch the uh, like the cast while the movie is playing, like a, a lot of the 90s and early 2000s DVDs that would have like commentary stuff. I would always find the commentary track almost more entertaining, especially if there was like beer or liquor involved. In oh, the yeah. actor, Like the actor 100%. and director are going to be like, I hated this scene. It was terrible. <laughs> this is the worst thing to film ever. And you're like, it's some critically acclaimed movie. And they're just shit those. talking the whole thing. <laughs> so the most famous one, I think, is is Tropic Thunder, where Robert Downey Jr. stays in character for the entire director's <laughs> commentary as well. Because in the movie, he's famously playing a guy that's always in character. And in the movie, he has a line that says, I don't get out of character until I do the director's commentary. And so for the entire director's commentary, he's in character. It's unbelievable. That's pretty good. That's yeah, good. That's awesome. Are we still on track, boys? Is this is this on our agenda? We, was Tropic Thunder's <laughs> director we've commentary? We've the agenda out of the water <laughs> multiple times. Gosh, I'm so sorry. That never. No, that's with the me. best thing. I, to hell with yeah, I mean to be to be fair, we're not. You know, as you've gathered from our conversation, we're we're definitely not a StarCraft podcast. No. Um, and as much as we're a gaming podcast, you know, these conversations are what we're looking for. So no, this is this has been awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I, Creighton, again, it's it's been a, a, a absolute treat talking with you this evening. Is there anything else that you wanted to to cover, or anything else that you'd like to promote out there that that we haven't uh, had a chance to speak to yet? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I think it's important that I promote things that I like. I went to a Kansas City Royals game on Monday, and I had a Philly cheesesteak there that was unbelievable. So <laughs> if you're ever at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. Go to Grinders. It's it's just outside, like it's like down by the foul, the foul pole on the first baseline, and uh, get the Philly cheesesteak. Obviously, peppers and peppers and onions, no mushrooms. Uh, I would oh. highly promote that. Uh, fabulous choice. <laughs> Fair enough. But aside from that, I can't think of anything I care. I mean, maybe follow me on Twitch or whatever. But most importantly, right. Philly the Philly cheesesteak cheese from Grinders. <laughs> okay, very important. Worth well, it. the show notes will have a Grinders link so people can, <laughs> yeah. can click there. I'll, send you, um, I'll draw a picture of the stadium. I'll draw a little X on like yeah. where the give us where the meantime. You see if you can get an affiliate link from them, and then we'll use that. So that <laughs> way, yeah, you can make maybe a dollar. You know, if I could get an affiliate link from Grinders and get free <laughs> fucking Philly cheesesteaks for every Royals game Dude, I go to, hey. I would never, I would never be outside of Kauffman Stadium again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll also have have a link to your Twitch channel. Um, anything else though that you'd like us to to link for you? 
No, I'm, I'm easy to find. I, you know, so you guys were talking earlier about how pro gamers are like, usually people that come on wanted to be pro gamers, right? So everybody has a cool handle. They're always like Artosis or Fear Dragon or, or Huck or something. I was never a pro gamer. Like I never had like a competitive gaming handle. And I got into this as a prophet, like, because my background is in marketing and advertising and PR. So when I started doing all this, I was like, well, if I want to be easy to find, I'll just use my name on everything and then I'll be easy to find. And since I have a weird name, it works out. So like my Twitch, my Twitter, my YouTube are all just at Creighton Olson. Like I, and I, and I remember I went to when I, when I first cast the GSL, they said, Oh, Creighton, the broadcast producer came up and said, Oh, Creighton, what's your, well, sorry, they're Koreans. So they're like, Oh, Olson, what's your, um, what's your gamer handle? Like what, what, what can we call you? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't have one. Just Creighton Olson is fine. And she, she gave me the weirdest look. Shunned. Are you a real, you're not a real person. Like you have to have a gamer <laughs> handle if you're in this studio. Uh, and they, they still let me on air, which was great. This is going to sound potentially like unnecessary flattery. And it's not that, um, Hit me. but I do think that in, in, in the future, at some point you can be looked back at as, you were just ahead of the curve because I think that you're absolutely right about the the need for entertainment background to be in esports casting and that being yeah. a missing element. 100%. And I also personally and love you other people that we've had on that we referred to by their screen names. Yeah. But I think it's insane that people are trying to have are are pushing these professional careers under a screen name that yeah is popular within that community but if you want someone who's never watched StarCraft to watch, it's a lot harder to watch when it's some strange name that they're also like, well, what does that even mean? And it's like, yep. yeah, why can't we just have people's real names, when right? Blaze so at I, 420 is Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, I don't, I don't yeah, mind I'm with players. Trying. I don't mind with players, but I yeah. do on all right. my tournaments. Every tournament that I run, I make sure that my casters are represented by their actual names. So yeah. I'll put like I, had, like I had Cats on a while ago, and I love Cats, but Cats is a dumb fucking nickname. Uh, but they all are, you know, we all made them when we were right. like 12, except for me, because I wasn't cool, but all the cool <laughs> people made them when they were 12. So when I, when they're on my channel, it's always first name and then in quotes, whatever their gamer handle is last name. So that at least there's a little more legitimacy, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I feel the same way Walker where I'm just like, man, this is, if you want to be taken seriously outside of anything. See, it, it must be nice for you guys to have unique names. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm borderline unique, but there's still quite a few Brett's out there. So I'm all about renaming. Yeah. And I want to identify as not what my parents gave me. Love you guys, it's, but no. <laughs> genuinely has been a problem for me. And this is going to sound very strange. Online dating, which I do pretty occasionally because I move from place to place. But anytime I connect with anybody and as soon as they, because they, because I put my real name on everything. <laughs> so and you're I just know, super searchable. A hundred percent. I know I'm being Googled every time. Like there's no, <laughs> you know, if when I match yeah, with Starcraft like. Starcraft caster next. Yeah. Swipe I match right. with like Kelsey Smith. I'm like, oh, well, what the fuck? Yeah. I, there's I only 400 of you here in, <laughs> yeah. this, in this 800 person town. Great. <laughs> I can always, I can always tell when, when I get like the next message is like, so you do what again? Because I know they've seen <laughs> 10 videos of me shouting about you know, blink stalker micro being shit or something. And <laughs> right. then I have a lot of explaining to do. It's not fun. Yeah, I get it. I actually, I think this actually just speaks more to my terrible skills at SEO. Uh, but if you Google my name, it's actually just a bunch of oil drilling equipment that nice. is made by some company called Walker and the near is the wow. near, whatever. Very okay. strange. But yeah, it's, it's pages before you find anything that I've actually made as content, which I probably shouldn't have shared on the podcast, but hey, <laughs> there we fun. are. 
<laughs> Who the fuck clicks past page one of Google anymore? What yeah, is this, 1995? Come on. I mean, if people are still listening at the hour and 20 minutes, we listening commend you. to the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. either, right? also that's, and that's bad because, Walker, you already did like this sort of very nice outro. Like, oh, great. Is there anything <laughs> yeah. else you want to promote? And now I've just sent 20 more minutes of shit out of the world. People have already tuned off. We love it. Reminders are so- important, all right? <laughs> if you're still listening, my social security number is <laughs> nobody will ever hack me. I'm fine. <laughs> Do you run LifeLock? Um, all right. Well, wasn't that, been not to absolute... continue to fuck up your outro. But wasn't no. there a famous story of um, the, the Top Gear guy, Jeremy Clarkson, who was convinced that he was like, oh, my national insurance number is safe. Nobody can ever hack me or whatever. It's stupid. So he bought a billboard truck and put his like national insurance. No, it was, it was his bank account. He put his bank account number on this billboard truck. And just like drove it around London for a while. And he's like, what? No one can do anything with my bank account number. It's, so, it's a bank account number. And then apparently uh, a couple people had helped themselves to some money, including the Diabetic Society, who helped themselves <laughs> to 50 quid, apparently. So that's interesting because now I'm actually – so the reason I said LifeLock is because the story I'm familiar with, which is U.S.-based, uh-huh. is that the guy who is the CEO of LifeLock was like, yeah, LifeLock makes it so you can't get your identity stolen. Right. I'm going to put my social security number on the side of a bus. That's right. But now that there's this story from the UK, I wonder if either story is true or if this is just some old wives tale about <laughs> identity theft security company CEOs or something. That's Then again, that's a- famous last words are, I dare you to hack me. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's... I'm terrified. I, I used to use a site to rant. Like I, I, anytime I do giveaways, I use random.org, mm-hmm. which is a great site, but I did it live on stream a couple of times. And like, and for some reason they show what your IP is mm-hmm. underneath the, uh, they're like, Oh, you, you're logging in from this IP. And I showed it on stream a couple of times. And then some brave kind soul messaged me and was like, Oh, Creighton, you probably shouldn't broadcast your IP. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> your, I know you're an idiot. But I didn't think you were that dumb. I'm a huge like, fan oh. of like hackathons, like both like physical pen testing and oh, yeah. like online type stuff. I can't do any of it, but I'm endlessly intrigued by yeah. how little it takes and how it's- vast the the wealth of knowledge is on like we have the last two serial numbers of a 1983 modem. And we now got access to this entire yeah. bank's information. So I know Walker, Walker is like tugging at his earphones to get us out of here. I do. I, I used to work. I did a, a brief management consultancy for an IT firm. And I worked with some guys who could do that shit, who were amazing. Like, and that's their whole job was to make sure that people couldn't be. So for a marketing thing, we would have people come in. Oh, we would send, we would send these guys to a business. So it'd be me and one of these other guys. And we'd go to their business and be like, hey, we've we've seen, and they would do the, the research beforehand and be like, hey, we've seen your, your website's not super secure or something. Uh, we can help you out with that. And nine times out of 10, they would be like, prove it. And the guy would go, okay. okay. And he'd pull open his phone and almost every, within five minutes, he could be like, uh, so your your secretary uh, <laughs> has posted these serial numbers for whatever it was. And it was like some facts that, you know, like all, every fucking company we talked to, he could always be like, yeah, we can get in. It's <laughs> It's trivial. Nobody That's expects crazy. It. it was, and it, it, to me, it's it's black magic. Oh, it's right. like, it's like being 100%. GM on the StarCraft ladder. I don't know. I don't think <laughs> humans can do it. Right. It's all the Google program. Alpha Star is kind yeah, of struggling to you. get there. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there's randos that are like, oh, well, I found a Reddit thread in like six seconds that told me how to do it. GM. I mean, we talked to a dude last week 
Raiden, who's a, a longtime yeah. Masters player and coach or whatever. Yeah. He picked the game up when he was 11 and found himself in Gold League and then found himself in Plat and then switched races to get to Masters League. And I was like, and then started coaching people. And I was like, dude, <laughs> was anyone ever mad when they asked you to coach them and then realized that you were 13 literally? Because <laughs> I was in my mid-20s when StarCraft came out. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I couldn't have said shit to him, but damn that would have been embarrassing man dude, like, if, I, if uh, I paid 40 bucks for coaching and dude, then I just like, okay hi uh, you're gonna, gonna want to click on your scvs right like, like damn it no nah, i'm gonna click on my neck and get out of this life man. this is too much this is too Fuck much this game. Oh, well creighton it's been an absolute delight and a pleasure thank you so much for joining us it has been an absolute blast having you on and uh yeah any last words or do you, you need another 20 minutes to to us out <laughs> don't don't give me that don't give me that <laughs> background in performing arts guys you, you will the limelight i want to stay in it for as long as possible well if you <laughs> want uh, to to Walker. thank you so much guys yeah if you guys want more of creighton then hit him up on twitch you can follow his antics there as well awesome Perfect. thank you so that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page over at ko-fi.com slash POISpod, or just tell a friend about us because word of mouth really does make a difference. All of our links and social accounts are available inside the show notes, and if you want to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, and my podcast, Dungeons & Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought.